Moses goes into the store with a list of things from his wife for him to buy. And a list of five things. And I come out with four. Some of you may think, be thinking, well, that's not very bad at all. But you need to realize that three of those four items were never on the list. <laughs> While my failing memory gives me some reason for concern, my bigger concern is developing spiritual amnesia. And I hope that doesn't happen. There's a possibility that someday I may take God's bountiful blessings for, for granted and, you know, not remember to give him thanks for what he's done for me. You know, everything that we, God sends us blessing after blessings and everything we ask for, whether we need it or not, whether we deserve them or not. You know, he makes his sun rise on the good and the evil at the same time. Whether we acknowledge them or not, we're absolutely flooded with blessings from God. A gracious, good God. So do we remember where those blessings came from? Are we willing to remember and give thanks to God for them? The psalmist encouraged us with just these words. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who forgives all of your iniquities, who heals all of your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction and crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things. Psalms 103, verses 1 through 5. As the new 92-year-old sister said, I sure hope I'll never get that forgetful. Now, if you'll excuse me, I've got to see who's at the door. God who keeps on giving and giving be all praise and honor and glory. Have a great day. That, what, a, what a wonderful thought. Read with me, if you will, from 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Think what he's saying. I want you to remember the keynote of this particular passage, and that keynote is knowledge. He wants us to remember. He wants us to recognize the knowledge of what God has done for us. The Greek word is epigenosis, which means precise and correct knowledge. We want more than that. We want to have genuine knowledge, founded upon the Word of God and not the knowledge that is falsely so-called. Peter's going to give us that knowledge. That knowledge that comes from God after his signature, after his greeting, and after his salutation. And we're going to talk about that in just a few moments. But I want to break down our understanding of this introduction. 
I want us to think for a few moments about what Peter is saying so that we may be prepared for the rest of the letter. Without this understanding of the introduction, we fail miserably on the understanding of the rest of it. Simon Peter, first two words. The inclusion of Peter's original name is used here. That's a rare thing in the New Testament. It was not used in 1 Peter. Why here? Could it be to positively identify him? Could it be that they have been exposed to false teachers and it seems that to me that for, that for false teachers to be successful, they have to be able to attempt to impress the hearers with their knowledge. That their knowledge is supreme from Peter's. Or perhaps they would attempt to, as many did, suggest that this letter was not from Peter at all. Perhaps it was a false teacher who would expect to copy the name of Peter from 1 Peter. And then he says he's a servant. Some translations you have may say a bond servant. The word is translated bond servant, really. Same word Paul used in Romans chapter 1 and verse 1. Same word he used in Philippians 1 and verse 1 and Titus 1 and verse 1. It means a slave. It's interesting to me that since the Greeks had two words for slaves, the apostles always used doulos. This means one that is born into slavery. When we think of, I think of it, we recognize that the apostles, as well as we, have been born into Jesus Christ. And thus all Christians have become slaves of Christ. Peter identifies that for us in using himself as the example. And then the word apostle. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle. That's a word that can be used in various ways. It can, be, it can mean one of the twelve. We understand that idea in Acts chapter 1 and verse 22 through 21 through 26. Generally, the word means one who is sent. Here is someone who has give, been given a message and is sent into all the world with that message. One who is sent on a mission, a mission to preach the gospel in this particular case. It could also refer to one who is an official or a delegate or an ambassador. For Paul, an apostle stood for an authoritative function in the church. But there, there's no evidence that, as Peter used the word, that it was a designation for a group of believers that extended beyond the twelve. The twelve apostles chosen by Jesus prior to the establishment of the church. And he's writing this, if you remember, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us. Peter was careful to maintain a delicate balance between authoritative position and one, uh, on one hand and an identification with his readers on the other. He did not know of any distinction between believers such as laity and cler clergy. They, we did, that wasn't known. The faith of this apostle was of the same kind as of the faith of those who were members of the church to whom he was writing. No distinction was made there. 
You see, they have lacked precious faith. To those who have obtained that lack precious faith. Peter was careful to maintain a delicate balance between an authoritative position in, on, on one hand and an identification with his readers on another. He did not know of any distinction between believers such as that laity and clergy that I mentioned a moment ago. The faith of this apostle was of the same kind as the faith of those who have obeyed the gospel. That word faith is important for us to understand as well. As we think about some of the things that, are, that Peter's talking about, sometimes it designates a personal trust a disciple places in the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. And sometimes it pictured the entire Christian doctrine as we might think about it in Jude verse 3. But without the article the, I think it favors a simple reminder that they had placed their faith and their obedience or their trust in God through Jesus Christ. It's interesting. And some translations use the word received and not obtained. Peter says, as we read it a moment ago, that they have, received, have obtained like precious faith. The recipients of this faith were passive in their receiving of, of the faith. Were they passive? Christians receive faith when they hear the message of Christ and believe it and put their trust in the Lord. Acts 18 verse 8 tells us that many of the Corinthians hearing, believed, and were baptized. You see, there is some action involved that brings us to that word faith. We have to be able to put our faith and trust and, and belief in Jesus Christ and obey His word by the righteousness of God our Savior and Jesus Christ. Very similar to Romans chapter 3 and verse 22 when Paul says the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and to all who all believe. Which infers that the perfect faith and perfect obedience of the Son of God. Not talking about ours being perfect, but His is. All the apostles and all the Christians were saved by the righteousness of God in Christ. That salvation is only available in Christ Jesus. This is another way that Peter is telling his readers that he too is totally dependent on Jesus Christ for salvation. There's not a big distinction between Peter the apostle and the members of the church to whom he's writing. He's literally saying that he is still a sinner in need of the righteousness of Jesus Christ just as much as the newest convert needed that. And then he says, and grace and peace be multiplied to you. Seems Peter's identified himself with those who had, who by faith and obedience were dependent upon that righteousness of Jesus Christ. Now he offers a simple prayer on their behalf. Those words are identical in 1 Peter 1 and verse 2. But here he added, in the knowledge of God and of the Jesus our Lord. 
Don't you think that he added that phrase in order to impress that they have the salvation of their souls because of Jesus Christ? Not something they did. Not something they earned by their own righteousness. But through Jesus Christ. What an what a important thing that is. Nothing else can take his place. Additional doctrines will not work. Man simply cannot change what Jesus did, what God provides, nor can they be saved without it. The false teachers may have claimed to have some degree of knowledge that gave them the right to speak and be heard. The challenge of false teachers is difficult. The first thing they needed to be was reminded that they had found an apostolic message fully sufficient. They had found a life with God and they lacked no resource or for continued spiritual growth. The false teachers, in order to be successful in what they were doing, had to convince them that they had more to offer. That their knowledge was superior to that of the apostles. No, it was not. Peter denied it all. Isn't it interesting that he did not set out to attack the false teachers? With that first stroke of his pen... I think it's important to, that we think of it in that particular way. You see, it's not necessary to know all the intricacies of the false doctrines in order to present, present positively the message of Christ. So Peter begins with words of assurance. He begins with the idea that he can assure them that what he's saying is true. And then he mentions his divine power. You see, he's given him the divine power. Some translators use the verse 3 to start a new paragraph, while others think that verse 3 is an extension of the first two verses. It seems to me that this verse continues the thought of verse 2. He has given uh, to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to glory or by glory and nurture, nurture. The true nature of saving knowledge is God in God through Christ who granted to the apostles that full and great, complete knowledge of everything that, com that, that pertains to life and godliness. The great promise of Christ, that the Holy Spirit would guide the apostles' full and, and complete knowledge in everything. Is it, is it possible that false, Peter, uh, false prophets that Peter is going to mention in chapter 2 and verse 1 claimed they had access to knowledge unknown to their first teachers? Evidently, they, came, they claimed knowledge superior to that of Peter and the other apostles. Now, Peter refused to discredit the importance of knowledge. His claim was that the apostolic message was the fountainhead of knowledge. The apostle would echo the quiet confidence of the psalmist who wrote, This I know, that God is for me. Psalms 56, verse 9. Now, divine power had been recognized and realized for these Christians in two ways. 
First, they had found life. Life refers to those spiritual, intangible benefits Christians enjoy, which include forgiveness of sins, hope of eternal life, peace with God, and tranquility of soul. Second, associated with life is the moral imperative of Christian living, a, a pious life, resu resulting in godliness pours forth from divine power. Through the message, Peter's readers had received the spiritual blessings that resulted in walking with God. In addition, they had learned how to live God, a godly manner that acclaimed God's sovereignty. The sufficiency of the apostolic message to meet all spiritual needs is as manifest in the 21st century as it was in the first. Through God's providence, and the Spirit's inspiration, Christians have the apostolic message in the New Testament. There's one truth that seemingly becomes more and more evident as time goes on. That is that people see what they're looking for. A person's desire becomes mental spectacles through which he looks upon everything. If he's looking for faults, you'll find them. If he's looking for hypocrites, you'll find them. If he's looking for crime and evil in high places, he'll find it. But conversely, if he's looking for good, he'll find that too. We just normally see what we look for in other people. The same principle stated over and over again in the scripture. Paul says that he can never grow tired of proclaiming Christ. Irregardless of the subject matter, it always comes around to Jesus. The same is true of Peter. There could be no other way for him to begin a treatise on false teachers than to begin it with a per perfect view of Christ and of Christianity. So Peter begins this section with a precious view of Christ. In verse 3, he sees the Christ of power. As his divine power, Peter's first prayer for the readers is for his real desire for grace and peace to be multiplied in the readers. Most of the New Testament epistles begin with the wish of this nature. Notice that, that multiplication comes through our knowledge of God in Christ. Perhaps that's the secret to all of the, uh, of the lack of peace in our world today. No wonder it was so tremendously important or that the, he places such great emphasis on knowledge. Hosea chapter 4 verse 6 says, My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Confidentially, one of the greatest dangers facing the church today is this kind of, or maybe I should say this lack of knowledge. Although the Words of Hosea were spoken hundreds of years ago and described the conditions of the Israelite people then. I think you would agree with me that they're still acceptable, applicable today. That grace and peace is to be multiplied through knowledge and according to His divine power. Grace and peace does not come through our power, 
through the knowledge that we've received, but through knowledge of him and of the, his great power. We need not question the divine power of one who can suspend the laws of the universe. God can. We did not uh, take uh, for a moment uh, and question someone who can walk on water. Literally on the face of the water. Someone who can heal the sick. Someone who can raise the dead. Colossians 1 and verse 16, For by him all things were created. Hebrews 1 and verses 1 and 2, By whom also he created the world. Ephesians 2 and verse 10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. By contrast, our powers are so weak. We must stand idly by and watch a loved one meet disaster. But the love of Christ has the power to act. He demonstrated that power and that love. He is the Christ of generosity. He bestows upon us all things for life and godliness. The devil's active today in attempting to convince others that the Christian life is missing so much. That real life cannot be known unless you sink, your, sink into the slimy pit of sin. It doesn't work that way. We're bombarded with television commercials that sell and, and, and that kind of philosophy. The worldly life does not provide for us the joy of a life well lived. The new morality has insisted that unless we sink to the level of animals, we're not free. But what they don't know is that rather than finding life that they're missing, rather than really grabbing hold of something, they're wasting them to themselves. Jesus provides for all of our needs. Everything. All things. Now, if he provides all things, then nothing is omitted. Everything needful to a, a full, useful life and for godliness is provided. Again, notice that these things are provided through knowledge. Oh, if we could only gather the importance of this study. Jesus is the Christ of precious and great promises whereby through that knowledge again is given to us exceeding great and precious promises not necessarily that Christ brings promises to us but that in him these promises come true 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 20 for all the promises of God in him are yea and in him amen that's Christ literally saying, yes, let them be so. The promises are great and exceedingly precious because they deal with eternal matters. If God loved you enough, if God loved you enough to send his son, take just a moment and let that thought sink in. If God loved you individually, enough to send his only begotten son to suffer the horrible agony of the cross to pay the penalty for the sins that you've committed. Oh, how important it would be for us to understand that. 
His promises are precious. If Christ loved you enough to come and die for you, God said it. Christ came. Then their promises are true. Promises of forgiveness of sins. Promises of salvation now and for eternity. Promises of a better way of life now and heaven after a while. It's by Christ by whom we escape the world's corruption. If we think of the world today, we can look in history and go back to the time of, uh, of Jesus being here on this earth and know that the world at that particular time was drowning in sin. We'd say the same thing about the world today. Drowning in sin. You see, the way we escape that kind of corruption is through Jesus Christ. There were those then who believed that a person could be saved and then live just any way they wanted to because the body and the spirit are separate. Sounds like the 21st century, doesn't it? Sounds like something we would hear today. Oh yes, we call it by a different name. But it's the philosophy that the devil has persuaded the world to embrace now. We cannot be members of the Lord's church and live like the world. Christ helps us to escape the pollutions of the world. And again, it's through this knowledge of Christ that we escape the desire to sin. Not that we live perfect lives. We don't. But we try. We also have to put to death the desire to sin by committing that to Christ in obedience to his will. And also it's by Christ uh, by whom we're made partakers of that heavenly nature. You see, Peter used the word servant. A lowly slave of Jesus Christ. He saw himself as being born as a slave. Such an understanding logically follows when one obeys the Lord's simple words. John chapter 3 and verse 5. Here's a genuine, authentic humility. An amazing point is joy and contentment that is so evident in Peter's slavery. He accepted being a lowly slave who had no personal rights. <clears throat> the implications from this thought are far-reaching for the modern believer who has followed Peter's decision and has been born again as the slave of Christ. And that self-willed slavery implies that God owns us as the master who owns us completely. You've been bought with a price. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 20. If each believer would understand this simple point, we would witness drastic changes in daily action. If we just really grasp the idea that we've been bought with a price, we belong to God, we belong to Jesus Christ, <clears throat> we need to recognize that at the, as a master who owns us completely, we imply, when we understand the idea of what I'm saying, it implies strongly that God has the legitimate right to expect obedience to his commands. Slaves bound to obey his master, is he not? So believers are bound to do exactly 
what their master in heaven has said. One talent man failed to realize this and faced the terrible wrath of his master. Matthew 25, verse 26 and 7. What slave in the first century would think he or she could reject or neglect the master's command and get away unsanctified? With this self-willed slavery implies that the duty of the servant is constant. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. What slave ever thought he or she could take time off from duties? The New Testament slaves of Christ understood that they were obedient, had, must be obedient to Jesus Christ. Self-willed slavery implies that we're to always seek the master's approval. Approval from the master is a consequence of doing that which is honorable and right. Approval arises when we deny self and follow Christ. Peter comprehended the greatness of the word slave in his relationship with Christ. He understood the vital obligation to serve as a servant. And then too we have to take the opportunity to unite. God gives us the only possible basis for unity and harmony with our fellow man. Much talk place, takes place in our world today about peace initiatives between countries. But there can never be any lasting peace in the world because the world rejects the only possible basis of such peace, the will of God. Over and over God has provided the opportunity for unity and accord which is founded in faith. Ephesians 2 verse 20 through 22 says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And in the latter part of Galatians chapter 3 verses 27 through 29, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. Absolutely. No preferences exist. One, brain, one faith brings unity and harmony, and thus man was made in the image of God. We, we can understand that. Permit me to suggest some lessons to you as we conclude. I want just to suggest some things that are evident from what we know in these passages that we've looked at as we stand, think of the opportunities that we have. Lessons that will enable us to preserve and to persevere. Number one, think of how Christ thoroughly changes our lives. Once we become dubulos, slaves, born into slavery, a born slave, we're new creations. Is this true in your life? Is this what you find there? Do you see the great service that extended and expected from you as a slave of Jesus Christ? Secondly, God's generous gifts only increase as we study. Peter's prayer wish was for God's grace and peace to soothe his readers to the same degree as their knowledge of God progressed. A casual acquaintance with God's not enough to yield the abundant blessing and God's grace and peace. 
You have to have a, a, a deep abiding relationship with God if you are, are to enjoy the abundance of God's rich blessings. From this, all should see the need to cultivate a deep friendship with the Lord. Number three, how blessed are we to have salvation? Where else can you find the satisfaction that arises from exalted service? The soothing, quiet rest that comes from divine grace and peace. The priceless treasure of a precious faith that unites all men, no matter where, where they live or what language they speak. Only through God's generosity can we possess these wonderful blessings. Number four. Only one my, uh, right way to truly know God has been revealed. We're not going to divide our, uh, define our own way. There's only one way to do it. There's only one way to find God, to know Him. It simply is not true that it does not matter what you believe. We must believe the precepts of the like precious faith that only teaches the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now, Think about that for a moment. There's only one way to know God. Through His Word and obedience to that Word. The Almighty God designs to call us to partake of that glorious spiritual blessings. He has abundant of blessings. Spiritual blessings awaiting for you and I. And He wants to call us to partake of those. Such speaks of His marvelous love, His compassion and concern. The call is made because God wants to become involved in our lives so that we can enjoy life as He intended. The generosity of God's gifts are exhaustive. I've often thought how often we've been told to make a list of our blessings so we can thank God for them. I challenge you to make a list I don't think it's possible. I don't think you can make a list of all the blessings God's given you. You can't do it. You can't know them. You can't find those blessings, all of them. You can't even begin to name them. And, no, and not in one way. Those gifts are exhaustive. Only a little, not even only little thing that we need is unrevealed. Because God's revelation, the Bible, all things have become clear. The Holy Spirit is the only means through which divine provisions have been revealed. Acts chapter 20 and verse 32. Thus anything you need is found in the Bible. You've received even before you knew of your need. As Jesus told us, your heavenly Father knows what you have need of before you ask Him. Have you asked God for the blessings that He's given you? Most of us have. Could it be that you tonight are in the, in the position and where you need to place your faith, your life in the hands of Jesus? Where you need to become that born slave into slavery for God? The only way to do that is by putting your faith and trust in Him. Turning away from sin, repentance of sin. Repentance means doing away with it. 
It means turning away. If you're traveling one way and you repent of that way, you turn to the opposite way. Life is that way. Have we repented of that sinful life that we were living and confessed our faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God? Then we need to be buried in water. We take the old man of sin that we're told in the Bible has died to sin, that old man, when we've repented and turned away from it, we've died to sin. We take that old man of sin and bury him in the watery grave of baptism to rise and walk in newness of life and become that new creature, slave of God. What a blessing it can be. Peter wanted us to know those things in 2 Peter chapter 1. And we really just looked at the introduction of that book. If you need to respond to the invitation of our Lord, you know what it is now. You know to look at your own mind and your own heart and decide whether or not you can serve God. If you need to respond, we encourage you to come right now while together we stand and sing. Lord is weary, please help me, dear Lord. I stand in need of more strength from your word. Renew my love, rebuild my faith, go restore my soul. Revive the fire, Lord, deep in my soul. Stir my desire to work in your fold. Light in my heart, dear God, your from cold. Renew my love, rebuild my song before the uh, communion will be um, number 622, Tell Me the Story of Jesus. If you haven't taken communion today, um, it will be provided for you um, out the rear doors in, in a hallway to the left. Uh, if you need help finding it, the ushers will show you the way. Tell me the story of Jesus, write on my heart every word. Tell me the story most precious, sweet is that ever was heard. Tell how the Right on my 